John 10, 22 to 30. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If you could take your Bibles back out, if you could take them to John chapter 10, just for a a few moments here. I want us to look in God's Word and just spend a little bit of time. There's, I mean, most of you who have read the Bible, you'll know this. Um, There's a long history in the Bible of imagery of shepherds and analogies with sheep. And I've not shied away from that analogy, those illustrations. I've actually leaned into them. I mean, we have a shepherding team here, and it's not uncommon for us to think of ourselves as sheep. I remember talking to someone maybe in 09 or so when I was first here that felt like any time I would say sheep, it was a demeaning term. And I, I had to make sure they know, like, listen, I'm a sheep before I'm a shepherd. I recognize that. Like, this is the imagery that Christ gave us. This is the imagery that God wanted us to have. And we've moved, yeah, we've moved a long way from that with technology and we live a couple thousand. I don't know, I don't know, you know, not many of you have like a little flock in your backyard of sheep and and that's just not the way we roll now. And I realize that, but this imagery is actually not that hard for us to get our minds around. The basic idea of a sheep traveling in flocks and the idea of some vulnerability with sheep and a recognition that someone's got to look after them and a recognition in the Bible. This is like Old Testament and New Testament that when God says sheep, he is talking about his people. It's a term of endearment of how much they mean to him. And and so it's in John 10 where you get like this very clear understanding of God sending his son into this world, Jesus, to be the good shepherd to take care of his people. And so I think we can build on some of that, and we don't have time to get into all of John 10. I'd love for you to read all of John 10, but I think to understand it, you'd have to also read John 9 and probably John 11. Just go ahead and read the whole book, and you'll appreciate why this is not just something that Jesus grabs kind of out of the thin air, but how how this means so much to him for you to use that analogy. I mean, already in John 10, and again, we, keep, we don't have time to get into all the chapter, but Jesus has talked about using that analogy of him being the good shepherd as, as the fact that in John 10, it says he's the one who leads the sheep. The, the chapter opens with the, the gatekeeper opens to the one who is going to lead the sheep and the gatekeeper opens to Jesus and he is the one with full authorization from almighty God to lead the sheep, to lead the people of God. Jesus. Jesus is the one who not only leads the sheep, but also lays down his life for the sheep. I love that picture. So, of course, he's the good shepherd that will, like, comfort us and strengthen us. But the image that he wants us to know, 
when we hear good shepherd, he wants our minds to go, oh yeah, the good shepherd is the one that would die for the sheep, that would lay down his life for the sheep. And so he means that. I mean, he will go, he'll do this quite literally. He will, his life will be taken. He will breathe his last. He will suffocate. He will bleed out on a cross. Not for his benefit, but for ours. He lays down his life for the sheep. He's not just the one who is there to help us realize all our life's goals. He's there to deal with our sin, to deal with the wrath of God that we would have been under. So Jesus is the one who leads the sheep, lays down his life for the sheep, the one who actually gives life to the sheep. So it's not just that he lays down his life, but I love what Jesus says. He says, I have the authority to lay down my life, but then I have the authority to take it back up again. I mean, he's talking about the resurrection there. He will take up his life. He'll rise from the dead and, and then give life to his people, give life to his sheep. This is who he is as the good shepherd. He will take his life and extend that to others. So we live because he lives and our life is dependent on him. And, and fourth, Jesus also tells us that he's the access point, kind of with the whole sheep and shepherd analogy and the flock and the sheep pen. He's the access point. The, the way it's said is he's the door, he's the gate. So he's the one that gives us access to the Father. He, he's the one who, like, is going to mediate all our relationships, all our relationship uh, to life as we were designed to have it. These are huge statements. The fact that he leads the sheep, lays down his life for the sheep, gives life to the sheep, is the door, is the access point. If, if you made that claim... Curtis, I'm the access point. Everybody's got to go through me to get to God. I would be very, very suspicious of where you are mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And people were rightly suspicious when Jesus said those things. Like, who talks like that? Who claims that level of authority? Who lives and breathes as a human saying that those kinds of things? And so there are all, all sorts of questions and like clarification stuff gets stirred up when Jesus talks like this. And by the way, he talks like this regularly. And so when we get to verse 22, it says at that time, when Jesus is saying these kinds of things, there's a feast. And we know that feast as Hanukkah. It actually begins this evening. So uh, this timing helps us appreciate exactly when the timing was that this went down. At the time of the Feast of Dedication, it's the time that took place in Jerusalem. It's winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon and it says the Jews surrounded him. They gathered around him and they said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are Messiah, if you are the Christ, then tell us plainly. There's all sorts of things going on because some found Jesus to be exactly what they were looking for and they were so excited about it. And we read about those people in John. They, Jesus was all their hopes and all their dreams. And then we read about some that were unclear about who Jesus was and not sure, is he the Messiah or is he not? And then there are some and it's almost hard to say, but there's some that just found Jesus as a complete nuisance. A complete waste of everybody's time. One more person, one more problem that just needed to get rid, be, be rid of because he was creating such a disturbance and it's, he was blowing things up by the way he would talk and by the authority he was claiming. And I think it is that reaction that this question lends itself. I mean, I know there's an honest way to, to ask like, how long, who are you, just tell us. 
I actually think this isn't really with a lot of good motives. If you read John 9 and 10, you realize there are people that are just trying to trap Jesus. So that they want him to say is what reporters today want, someone to give that news clip, that thing that's going to go viral, that actually you can kind of take out of context and not exactly give the full understanding of what, because listen, Messiah was a hot topic there. And when someone claimed to be Messiah, does that mean they're going to take down Rome? Does that mean they're going to build their own empire? And so they were just waiting, often baiting Jesus to say that one thing that then they could use that against them. And Jesus was way too smart for that. So he responds wisely here, as he often did. In verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they are telling a story. They are bearing witness. They're giving evidence. They're bearing witness about me. But you don't believe. You don't believe because you're not among my sheep. As I've done these works, namely one of which was healing a blind man, which is the chapter right before this one. And those works are telling a story. And you've come down on the side of, I, I, don't, I don't buy that. There, there, that still goes on. We still have a record of what Jesus did, a record of what he said. There may be those in this room that go, I'm not quite convinced. He'll have to do more for me to prove himself. And Jesus says, at this point, it's just you're, you're choosing not to believe with all the evidence that could be mustered, with all the words that have been given. There are those that will believe, and those who are believing are his sheep. And by believing, I, I don't even necessarily mean like there's that yeah, I believe one time way back when and kind of said a few words and prayed a prayer. And like the belief that Jesus is talking about is this ongoing belief. Sure, it has a starting point. But it's the reliance and the dependence. It's not a set it and forget it kind of thing. It's that constant, that constant. Like we wake up today going, yeah, I believe Jesus is the one who is going to lead us. I believe Jesus is the one who laid down his life for me. I believe that Jesus is the one who can, and the only one who can give life to us. We don't believe in anything else. And Jesus is looking at people saying, do you believe this? This is the, dis- the deciding line. This is the decision point. Are you choosing not to believe? But he talks to people who have made that choice to believe, to rest everything they have on Jesus. And to those people, he says some of the most amazing, powerful, beautiful things that I think are recorded in Scripture. If you want to know why I have such confidence for the body of believers that meet at Ogletown Baptist Church, why I have confidence of whether I'm here or whether I'm not here, it actually goes deeply to what Jesus said about you. It's the lifeblood of what it means to have Jesus as our shepherd. He gives us in these verses that follow, in verse 27, verse 28, just two verses, right? But we have three privileges that I see and three assurances. And I just, I just want to share those and maybe just spotlight them a little bit and then we'll, we'll move on. Verse 27. Here are the three privileges that Jesus says 
you have if you're believing and resting in him as the good shepherd. He says, first, my sheep hear my voice. Second, they follow me, or I know them. And third, they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. It's present tense, not that they heard it, it's they're hearing it. My sheep are hearing my voice. In a noisy world, where there's lots of distractions, where, frankly, the voice in my own head, the the voice that I create in my own head can be so noisy. Piercing through all that, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They learn to hang on every word as if their life depends on it. My sheep are hearing my voice. We get drawn in again and again. We've heard it. I mean, I've read John 10 lots of times. And this week again, I hear the words of Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice. They're drawn to it. In my Bible, John 10, there are these words that are written in red that Jesus speaks. And then there's other words where he's actually not speaking, but those are in black ink, so it's red and black. I do want you to know when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, he's not just talking about the words in red. Because actually all of it comprise his voice, where he is speaking. Whether it's the words that are coming out of his mouth or the works he's doing that actually give testimony, they're speaking, saying this is who he is. And then you can back up into the Old Testament, which gives us lots of words about his arrival, about his coming, and they're speaking as well. You're hearing the voice of Jesus through those. And then you get the, the works he did, whether it's in the Gospels, whether it's in Acts, or the works of, that he's going to do in Revelation, and they're speaking, saying, this is who I am. And then you get the first followers of Jesus, the apostles, the prophets, taking pen, writing down things about who Jesus was and what he did, and, and they're writing with, with the authority of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, my sheep hear all that. They hear God's word and they draw life from it. I want you to hear, like as you read privilege number one there, my sheep hear my voice. There's something in that that just even feels a little bit like a kick in the pants to me of like, well, I better be spending time in God's word reading. And I think that's appropriate. Man, with the new year coming, how many Bible reading plans are there that will encourage you to take time each day or at least the majority of days of your week, and invested hearing the voice of Jesus. I think all of that's important. I think going to Sunday Bible studies, I think going to smaller groups, I think all of that is vitally important. I just want you to realize, this isn't even a command here, though. It's actually an affirmation. Jesus isn't even saying this needs to happen. He's saying it is happening. This is happening if you are his sheep. He will get your attention. You will hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. And then I love also that he says, privilege number two, I know them. I don't think it's wrong to help us even process exactly what's being said to say, he's getting to know us. Of course he's omniscient. But it may help you appreciate the relationship and the dynamic. Do you remember your best friend, the person closest to you, as you got to know them. So Jesus does say, like, everything that is good and right about that, getting to know you. Jesus says of his sheep, I know them. And we know this is who he is because Jesus 
had a conversation with Nicodemus and he got to know Nicodemus and he had a conversation with the woman at the well and he got to know her and he had conversations with Peter and all his disciples and he got to know them. So Jesus wasn't merely imparting truth, although that, that would be awesome and he did and we have all that truth but he actually says, I know them. It would be an amazing privilege if, if he said, they know me, but he actually says, I know them. Those quiet moments, he knows you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows where your heart is opened up and he knows exactly what's there. However guarded you have to be with everybody else about what drives you, about your needs, whatever like grudge you came in carrying, he knows that. Whatever parts of life that have made you cynical, he knows that. He knows you. He knows your silent fears that maybe you haven't even verbalized to one human being, he knows that. He knows where you try to pretend you're not stubborn, but you kind of know you are. He knows that. He knows where you are actually trying your best and not doing very good at it, but you're trying your best. He knows where life actually hurts, the pain points, the pinch points. He knows what you hope for. He knows, he knows what you want everybody else to know. He, he knows what you want everybody else to think about you. I mean, have you ever been known that well? You have not. You have not been known that well. So it's a privilege what we're talking about is an experiential knowledge. Again, I would say there feels like some level of responsibility there of like, yeah, I want, I want him to know me, so I'm going to unburden my soul. I'm going to like pray more. So yeah, do that. 100% do that. Just realize this is, this is telling you he knows you. It's not even a to-do list at this point. It's a privilege of being his. He knows you. Why do I have such confidence in our congregation? It's because Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Probably was easier to put all that together back in ancient times when you actually literally did kind of walk around with someone. This is like my heart's been opened up to the fact that as I consciously recognize Jesus isn't somewhere out there, but he is close. It's amazing how we become, we become really a lot like the people that we hang around. When I do a wedding, often, okay, the bridesmaids are here, groomsmen are here, bride and groom. A lot of times who the bride and groom are is largely determined by the bridesmaids and the groomsmen. Why? Because they've been following each other. They've been spending time with each other. The values get imported. The priorities get imported. Like you become that person. And so what does it mean when Jesus is saying they follow me? It's talking, we, we become, I mean, not exact replicas, but, but our heart is so shaped by him because we've been around him so much. We have the same kind, we do the same kinds of things. We have the same kinds of values. This is our privilege. Like these are our privileges. And then notice the assurances he gives, and we won't spend long on them, although you certainly could. In verse 28, where he says, here, here are some privileges. I give them eternal life. So if you hear eternal life as like, oh yeah, that happens after I die. 
you've only like got a part of it accurate. So actually eternal life begins in Christ now. And certainly that, that is the life to come. There is an eternal element of it if you think like a billion years from now, yes, but life begins now. That eternal life begins now, that abundant life. Jesus came to give that now, not like, hey, I've got a big present for you after you die. Like, no, I, I have something for you now if you're my sheep. Here's the assurance. You have, you possess eternal life. You, so when Jesus says you have life, it does mean like you come alive. You come alive. I was talking to a friend of mine and he was telling me about uh, one of his kids and he said, you know, they're, they're a little bit quiet, but when you get to know them, they just come alive. And I thought, yeah, that's it, isn't it? Like, Jesus knows us. And so we fully, fully come alive in him. Everything we were meant to be. He's committed to doing all that is good and necessary for you to come alive. And they will never perish. There's like an extra word there in the original. Like, they will never, ever perish. So again, I don't think this is just limited to saying, yeah, they won't, they won't go to hell after they die. It's like perishing is hopelessness, just it all unravels. There's a free fall, everything piles on, no relief. And there are times where it feels like that's exactly going to be our story. And Jesus is committed to us saying, that will not happen for you. Not if you're my sheep. You'll never have that hopelessness your life will never be a total disaster. Not those who are relying on Jesus, not, not those who are his sheep. And he even upgrades that another level. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So that feels personal, doesn't it? If it's like in here, it's like that's his grip. And the grip that matters the most, like I'm trying to hang on to Jesus and that matters, but the grip that matters most is that he has got me and nothing's going to take me, rip me out of his hand. Because his grip is so strong. I don't know where you place your security, but most everything I could name, like I feel secure when I have a retirement, when I, I feel secure when I have a job, I, I feel secure when my family's doing okay, I feel secure when I don't have car problems, I feel secure. I mean, you just fill in all the things that make you feel secure and you realize just about every bit of it can be ripped away in a moment's notice and this will never be ripped away. Why do I have such confidence? Because you're in the grip of Jesus. That's another level of security. So we, we are reading this right. The assurances we have because there is a good shepherd who lays down his life for us. You have promises like life and protection that cannot be thwarted. It actually gets amplified in verses 29 and 30 in case you're wondering how this relates. I mean, Jesus has said all this, but how does it relate to God the Father, verse 29 says, My Father, Jesus speaking, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he says this amazing thing in verse 30, I and the Father are one. And people have rightly looked at that and said, I and the Father are one, like one in essence. That's something about the Trinity there, which is powerful and amazing. And I think that's true. But in context, I think it's saying something about the grip. Like it's, it's about the grip. Our Father has His grip on us, and the Son has His grip on us. 
and it, it, it merges together. In case you're wondering how all this relates to Almighty God, it says no one will snatch us out of the hand of Jesus. And it says it's no, no one is able to seize us out of the hand of the Father. He secured those who are really valuable to him. Do you have that assurance? Do you know that? Do you appreciate that is exactly what Jesus desires for you? He was fortifying his disciples who were getting ready to watch him endure the most excruciating pain and then deal with, oh, he's risen. He, he's, not, he's alive. He's empowering them by reminding them, my sheep, hear my voice. And I know them. And they walk around with me. And I give them eternal life. They won't ever perish. And nothing's ever going to rip them out of my hand. Why do I have such confidence? It's because of what Jesus has promised here. And I want to close our time praying taking our request, think about this, to the Father. And I'm going to pray for you, knowing you really matter to the Father and Son. And any weakness I have in praying for you, the Spirit has promised to help us in our weakness. I want to pray really from that number six passage, a prayer of blessing. So will you let me pray for you today? Our Father, um, you are the God who keeps covenant. You're faithful, you're steadfast. I don't have to prove myself to you. No one in this room has to prove themselves to you. So I pray for my church family at Ogletown. I do pray that you would bless them and keep them. Bless them in ways where they're spiritually drawn closer to you, formed into the image of your son, your spirit having all authority in their lives. Keep them emotionally. Keep the one who is depressed and weary. Protect the mental health and emotional stability. Protect physically. Protect the vulnerable. Keep them. Keep the kids and adults who might face vulnerabilities and could be exploited. Protect those who are exhausted and burned out. Protect those who are homebound. Protect the missionaries that we've sent out as a church. Lord, bless them and keep them. Lord, would you make your face to shine on Ogletown? Would you be gracious? Would you lift up your countenance on Ogletown? I pray this church would know the joys of being adopted into your family. In any season of change, I pray they would know you go before them and behind them. You're all around them. I pray that you would give them grace in directing what comes next. Give grace to the pastors and the leaders of this church. Give grace that people would come to know you and love your word. Give grace to the next generation and to the one after that and to the one after that. And Father, I pray you as the Lord would give peace. I thank you for the unity of this church and I pray that you would guard that, protect that. I pray that you would give peace to the one who is brokenhearted, restore their soul. I pray even in the uncertain days ahead, I think of what your son did in just speaking 
and the water calmed down. So give peace to your church once again, reminding all of us that you are in control and your ways are best. We don't pray with doubt, Lord. I don't doubt in any way, shape, or form that you desire to do this. So we pray with confidence and faith, knowing you love to give good gifts to your children. So do this to make your name great. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.